السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا ما يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله All praises due to Allah We praise him, we seek his help, we ask for his forgiveness We seek refuge and protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil within ourselves and the evil within our actions, whomsoever Allah guides, none can misguide, and whomever Allah misguides, no one can guide. And I bear witness that none have the right to be worshipped except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, having no partner that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is his final messenger, the seal of the prophets. My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, welcome to another live stream episode I'm coming to you from HT Australia over uh, Facebook. Uh, Alhamdulillah, we've been in a position given the current predicament gripping the world and the trial um, that we are facing at the moment, uh, to provide ongoing streaming services and content, ta'ala. Um, and tonight, inshallah, the topic is going to be centered around al-amar bil-ma'roof nahi al-munkar, so the enjoining in all that which is right, forbidding that which is evil. And inshallah, ta'ala, we try to make the most of this opportunity um, to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Spend more time in, in, in returning to the Quran To the books and to the books of knowledge and alm um, And everyone has a different method of actually um, acquiring the alm So we have some time in our hands Many people are cooped up in their homes unfortunately So inshallah we'll try and make the best of that occasion uh, The topic is an important one Because it has um, direct ramifications upon the actions of the believer So depending on the the understanding that you have about the role of the Muslim as well as the enjoining good and forbidding evil, um, the outcomes of your actions will be will be guided by this understanding. Um, and so it comes back really to the essence of Islam. You know, there's a beautiful hadith uh, narrated in Muslim and Tamim al-Dari radiallahu an anna nabiyullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal ad-deenu nasiha Tamim al-Dari said in a hadith that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that this deen is nasiha, this deen, this religion, is advice and sincerity. فَقُلْنَا لِمَنْ فَقَالَ لِلَّهِ وَلِكِتَابِهِ وَلِرُسُولِهِ وَلِأَئِمَّةِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَعَامَّتِهِمْ So he said to them, they asked, after he said, this deen is nasiha, they asked, to who ya Rasulullah? And he responded by saying to Allah, to the book, the Quran, to the Prophet, to the leaders of the Muslims as well as their common folk. And so inshallah ta'ala I want to start with this hadith because it is a very important one to, to try gain an understanding. First and foremost, uh, if you really understand the essence of the hadith, you'll find that it gathers the majority and many affairs of the deen in a single expression. And the scholars when they talk about uh, this hadith and others like it, they say it's a concentration of many matters in Islam. So inshallah ta'ala, I want to start with it to have a, a, a better understanding. Firstly, the Prophet ﷺ, he defined the deen, the whole religion of Islam as nasiha. Now, I just want to take a little break here and understand the context here. So what happens is, in the Arabic language, there is a tool by which they describe one, something by one of its most important aspects. To give you an example, in another hadith, our beloved Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said Al-Hajj Arafah Hajj is Arafah 
Now, we all know that Hajj is a lot more than Arafah. It's made up of a lot of elements and a lot of obligations um, that you must do. But a lot of those other elements of Hajj, if you fail to do them or fail to do them correctly, there are opportunities to make, make, make up for them. Whereas a scholar said the Arafah, if you were to miss it, it's one of the pillars. If you were to miss it, you're unable to do and complete the rest of your Hajj and you have to come back another year to do it. So here, Rasulullah is describing Hajj by one of its most important tenets, which is the Waqaf of Arafah. And we do this in the English language as well. Sometimes you might stand at a, you know, within a room and you ask the person next to you, can you please count the number of heads in this room? Now, really, you're not after how many heads are in the room. You want to know how many people are in the room. But you're describing the people by its most important element, which is the head of the person, because it contains the mind. And this is, subhanAllah, um, in harmony with you know, Islam, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions some verses that he created us, the ahsin al-taqweem, in the best of forms. And the scholars, when they talk about the best of forms, they say it is because um, we have the mind. The human being was given the mind to discern between haq and batil, right and wrong, good or bad, and to learn, etc. Um, so it, it's an important factor. So if we go back to the original hadith, ad-deen nasiha it is describing the deen by one of its most important elements, which is the advice to the people. Right, um, and when you want to look at it, the Prophet Sallallahu he explained to Allah, to the you know the Quran, and to the Messenger. I'll stop on those three, and I'll brush over them quite quickly because I really it's the last two to the leaders and to the general folk, which is what I want to what I want to concentrate on today. Um, so to Allah means to have sincerity to Allah's Deen um, in your relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. This is the nasiha. Nasiha is the sincerity also in its root form. Um, to the Book of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is to honor it. Right, to, to to give it its rights, to take it as your guidance. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, This is the book, in it is guidance, sure without doubt, for those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is how you honor the Quran by learning it, by understanding it, and working to apply it in your lives and in society as a whole. This is the the rights that the Quran has over us. And to Rasulullah in the same token is to give him the honor the praise and to also take him as your your example you know um, to, to, to take all that which he gives you and to refrain from all that you were prohibited from so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would mention in the Quran um, you know beautiful and known verses where, where he, he would mention whatever the Prophet gives you you take and whatever he forbids for you you abstain from so if he says this is the sincerity to Allah, the book, and to the Prophet But when we come to that of the leaders, right, the scholars when they give the sharh of this hadith, they talk about the leaders referring to both the rulers of the, the Muslims and some add also the scholars, the leaders amongst you of the scholars. And the nasiha element here is pushed because um, they are not exempt from accountability. The nasiha is that you, you guide, you follow them in that which is correct and you guide and counsel and hold them to account on matters which do not conform to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the scholars said, if you were to not do that, then you have failed them, subhanAllah. Not only have you failed yourself and you, you fall into sin by letting the haram continue, but you have failed them. And the same with the common folk. Yeah, to Wa'ammatihim uh, talks about the common people. For nasiha that we give to them, for sincere advice, is to... Um, guide them to that which Allah loves is to love and care for them in the way that Islam demands 
And we know the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, So none of you have true iman until you wish for your brother that which you wish for yourself. And if you wish jannah and guidance for yourself, and ultimately you wish it for your brother. And this is the intent behind the nasiha and the accounting that you give. So, um, you know, whether you see the haram on an individual level or on a societal level. Um, and, and, and this is quite an important um, characteristic here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in Surah Al-Ahzab the role of our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or part thereof. And he mentions in Surah Al-Ahzab Ya ayyuhal nabiyu inna arsalnaka shahidan wa mubashiran wa nadira wa da'iyan ila Allahi bi idnihi wa siraja munira. O you Prophet, verily we have sent you as a witness, so as a witness of the truth and the haqq of Islam. Wa mubashir, one who brings glad tidings of the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that of Jannah. And as a warner to the punishment and the displeasure and the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those who reject the message of Islam and fall into sin and, and, and transgression. And one who invites the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and as a lamp spreading the light of Islam. And this is a beautiful ayah which encompasses not only the role of our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa but also the role of the believers who inherit this role. Indeed, we are witnesses to the truth and the haqq of Islam, and we are ones who invite to, to, to the path of Allah, and we also spread the light of Islam. And the beautiful thing about the example as a as a candle spreading the light, is, or as a lamp spreading the light of Islam, is that the Prophet Muhammad is able to light hundreds, thousands, millions of other Candles through through his light, without diminishing any part of his own. And this is what's amazing in this example and metaphor that's given here. Um, so, inshallah ta'ala, we need to understand if this is the role of the believers as ones who give glad tidings of, of the goodness and warners from the transgression and invite into the din of Allah subhanahu wa taala and as. Um, you know, lamps spreading the light of Islam. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al Hadid, Allah It is He, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who sent manifest signs, many ayat down for what purpose? To take people, humanity, from the darkness of oppression to the light of Islam. Verily, Allah is most gracious and most wise. So, this is part and parcel of the role of the believers and we need to have a clear understanding of that. Essentially, everything we've just discussed collectively is termed enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Al-Amr bil-Maruf wal-Nahi al-Munkar. And it's part of the, one of the, the, the biggest pillars of Islam as indeed, you know, ad-Din wa-Nasiha um, directly um, translates to. And so the enjoining good, forbidding evil is important, but how important? Obviously, if described as, uh, as such, we need to understand its ramifications on the believer, his actions and Islamic personality. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, or Allah's Prophet, peace be upon him, he said in a hadith narrated in At-Tirmidhi, he said, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ لَتَأْمُرُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ by the one in whose hand holds my life, you must enjoin the good and you must forbid the evil. It's not the commandment he uses, and the noon as well, which 
shows more emphasis. It's not a mere command or a request that you should enjoin the good, you forbid the evil. Is an absolute decisive command with it denoting punishment. This is, you know, the Quran associated with it. And so here, the Prophet he commands it. And there are ramifications for the ones that do not do this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send, if you do not, Allah will send an affliction and a chastisement. It says, that Allah will send a punishment from him You will then make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala You'll raise your hands asking for Allah for assistance from this affliction But he will not respond to you And so for scholars when I talk about this They say one of the conditions of Allah accepting your dua Is that you enjoin the good and you forbid the evil such is the importance of it. So subhanAllah, think about that for, for, for a moment. There's also in this hadith a beautiful, strong refutation against the argument that some people use to say, you know what, we need to just work on ourselves alone. Working on yourselves is good. This is part of the believer's daily activity until he dies and passes away. There is no limit that we reach and say, Alhamdulillah, I am safe. Right? So... But working on that alone at the exclusion and at the cost and at the price of other matters is problematic for the believer. And those who claim that if we just make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the victory will automatically come. And this is a refutation of this argument as well. Directly and specifically, because in the hadith it mentions that you will make dua and Allah will not respond to you because of your lack of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. And so when we talk about Al-Amr Bil-Maruf we're talking about everything which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded and we're talking about everything which the Prophet which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited, avoiding all of it. And so it's not to pick and choose bits and pieces that we enjoin in some parts which are easy and simple and nice to do and we prohibit the things just to individuals where it's within our within our power and it's nice and simple, right? But no, we're talking about everything which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded and everything which has been prohibited. In another narration of, of a similar hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, you must enjoin the good and you will forbid the evil or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send against you those who have no mercy for your young and no respect for your elderly. And this was narrated in Ibn al-Qayyim by Ibn al-Qayyim, subhanAllah. And this is a very terrifying notion that Allah will send you people who have no mercy for your young and no respect for your elderly and if you look around the world today my brothers and sisters in Islam prior, even prior to the you know the coronavirus issue that we've been afflicted with the ummah is suffering day and night you look at Kashmir Syria we look at Yemen Palestine the Uyghurs of East Turkestan right, Myanmar of African nations the list is as long as it is ugly and we know the situation of the ummah is dire at this point in time. And we ask ourselves, are we enjoying the good or forbidden evil? Or have we neglected this major obligation, a pillar of the deen? Do we only care about ourselves, our family, and our creature comforts around us? Right? And we fail to engage in what is outside of that. Right? And this is unfortunately um, how many people have been influenced, uh, especially living in the West, uh, you know, this concept of individualism. This, this nafsi, nafsi concept where you look after yourself and your family only uh, and, and not care about the, the affairs of the ummah. Despite the Prophet Muhammad warning us 
in many ahadith which are too numerous to, to, to mention that uh, the dangers of neglecting the rest of the ummah are quite severe. So it's not a correct understanding of our deen and there are rights which belong to others. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentioned Surah Tawbah. He described the believers, right? Because we all describe ourselves as, as the mu'mineen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentioned the believers. He said, وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ Describing the male and the female believers. Right? They are supporters. They are awliya of one another. And the term awliya is described and translated in a number of different ways. They are uh, awliya is like they are supporters, friends, helpers, and protectors of one another. They are all encompassed in this. How do they achieve this? يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَلِ مُنْكَرِ They are you know, enjoining all that which is good, and they forbid all that which is evil. وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَةِ وَيُؤْتُونَ زَكَةِ وَيُطِيعُونَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولَهُ أُولَٰئِكَ سَيْرْحَمُهُمُ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ Listen to this, how beautiful it is. They fulfill the role of being awliya, supporters, protectors, and helpers of one another by enjoining in that which is good, forbidding in all that which is evil, by standing in their prayers, giving in charity, and obeying Allah and the Messenger in all matters. On them Allah shall pour His mercy, verily Allah is most gracious and most wise. And the beautiful thing about this is the next ayah is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala follows it up with a promise. And listen to the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those who feel the conditions that we just mentioned. Highlighting its importance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised wa'ad. Allah, and the wa'ad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can never be cancelled. Allah has promised the believing men and the believing women with the attributes that we just mentioned, jannatin, paradise with rivers flowing beneath it, dwelling therein forever, eternity. And palaces aloft in the Garden of Eden, subhanAllah. Is there anything greater than Jannah that we're all aspiring to attain? We're working day and night to attain His Jannah. Is there something greater than this? Allah has promised it to you. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continued and He told you what is greater than this. There is something greater. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, but the pleasure of Allah is greater than all things. It is through the pleasure of Allah. And avoiding His displeasure that you attain Jannah in the first place. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, This indeed is the supreme and triumphant success. This is the definition of success. That you are awliya, the believers, one to another. Enjoying good, forbidding evil. Um, giving, standing in your prayers. Giving zakah. Obeying Allah and the Messenger in all matters and on them Allah shall pour mercy and He will grant them Jannah. Where they will dwell therein with palaces aloft in the garden. And this is the supreme success. And we need to understand that in, in, in its absolute um, you know, um, you know, context to our existing lives and to our lives and how we view our positions on this earth. So this entails speaking up against oppression. Enjoying a good forbidden evil, it entails holding people accountable, whatever they may be doing, whatever positions they are in. It talks about uh, stopping the haram, calling at, uh, attempts to dilute Islam if need be. Right? And we know there's a war on Islam, and this war on Islam is not just one of occupation of Muslim lands or military in nature. This war on Islam is a political war, an economic one, a cultural one, and an ideological one. So they are working day and night to, to allow the Muslims or force the Muslims to modify their Islam, to dilute their Islam, to, 
um, a version palatable to the West themselves. And unfortunately, we find a lot of Muslims through you know, naivety or even malice uh, are on board with this initiative and they work to carry um, the, these ideas to the Kufar. And there are many of those uh, elements. Um, and inshallah ta'ala, we'll come back to that in a small moment. You know, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi he mentioned a beautiful hadith that we all know. If you see a munkar, and this is an instruction to the believers, if you see a munkar, an evil, a haram, then seek to change it with your hands. And if you cannot, then seek to change it with your tongue by speaking out against it. And if you cannot, then within your heart. And this is the lowest level of iman. In another narration, there's not a mustard seed of iman left in that heart, subhanAllah. So here, the Prophet ﷺ commands within the ability and the responsibility of an individual, of a person, or a group, or an ummah, or society, that the munkar needs to be Removed. It is not enough that you see the munkar, whether on an individual level or the society level, that you just pass by it. And if we ever find ourselves comfortable with the haram and the fahshah and the munkar in the society around us, then there's a problem. We really need to reflect on uh, upon that and, and, and view ourselves and account ourselves. As Omar mentioned, account yourselves before you're held to account because there is something seriously wrong here. And it's human nature, and I will say that it's human nature that we become accustomed to things, we become acclimatized to things, including sin and haram. So really, it's a control-alt-delete time. It's a time to reset ourselves if we find ourselves falling into that situation. The saddening reality that we have, my brothers and sisters in Islam, is the current situation we find ourselves in is that there are Muslims very eager to call and to support things other than Islam. Right, not realizing the well-thought-out schemes of the kafar uh, to distort the Muslim's perception of Islam, as well as the tenets of, of, of our belief. You know, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He warns us of this throughout the Qur'an, that they will work and spend their effort day and night to hinder you from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and the kafar have even set out to redefine, you know, sharia meanings of good and bad, you know, halal and haram, right or wrong, you know. Um, and, and we find unfortunately some Muslims start to carry those ideals themselves afterwards you know how many times have you heard just on an individual level um, someone you know say to you Akhi, look I know it's haram but we're not doing anything bad or we're not doing anything wrong as if there's a distinction between haram and wrong for the believer um, or conversely you'll find the opposite they'll say look we know it's a part of Islam or we know it's an obligation but this is not a topic we're allowed to talk about right, subhanAllah an obligation and it's shunned don't do it this is not hikmah, brother. Stay away from this topic. Don't talk about this topic. Don't address these issues. right? Especially when you're talking about the political actions, addressing the plight of the ummah and the solution which Allah and His Prophet gave to, to such a predicament that we find ourselves in. And so you find Muslims calling to these non-Islamic concepts and these ideals while having very little superficial or no knowledge and understanding of what they call to. Um, and they can be in any one of those boats. So we're not looking to the sincerity of the people that carrying it. Unfortunately, this is what um, you know, uh, you know, ideological and cultural warfare does. You know, to a hundred plus years of you know colonization of, of the Muslim lands, and now the attempt to colonize those that came to the Muslim world, obviously, or it came from the Muslim world to, to the West, um, and in this fight of, you know, against all things Islam, um, is not far from us, and we see it. We see billions being spent. You know, in this cause, so we'll find people supporting LGBT movements uh, or, or the concept of feminism, or you know, calling for membership and, and support of Labour, Liberal, Greens, etc., which are built upon non-Islamic foundations, non-Islamic constitutions, 
um, which, which, you know, on a haram and kufr system. Um, so it, it's really important that we understand that. Um, you know, on the opposite spectrum, we find others saying, "Look, the Sharia is changeable depending on your time and place that you live in." Subhanallah. Um, and so we need to understand these calls are not inherently from Islam, and this is not part of, uh, you know, the, the, the enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Um, and it's an unfortunate uh, discussion, but we do need to have because it is, it, it is, it is picking up momentum in the community, and we need to be very cognizant of that. So this is the importance of consistency in calling to that which is good and forbidding all that which is evil because we're not allowed to call to some parts of Islam and forbid other minor parts of Islam as well. We can't pick and choose. It's all of the good forbidding all that which is evil within the realms and the capabilities of the people. But on an ideological level, there should be nothing that stops us from having those discussions and those debates in the society. Um, and, and, And... rather than justifying the evil due to time, place in the society or the condition that we find ourselves in. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَنَزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابِ تِبْيَانًا لِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ وَهُدًا وَرَحْمًا وَبُشْرًا لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ We reveal down this book clarifying everything about this life. Right? As, uh, as huda, as guidance, وَرَحْمًا and, and, uh, and mercy, وَبُشْرًا لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ And as glad tidings to the believers. So, this deen from its revelation until the day of judgment is applicable without its change. Without change of the sharia, of definitions of halal and haram to conform with the society. Rather, the true believer is one that centers Islam as the focal point of his life and revolves his life around it, not rather fits society's norms, definitions into Islam to make it a, a palatable version. And the, this means that the Muslim needs to be an unapologetically Muslim when he engages in the society with those around him, whether it be amongst the Muslims or the non-Muslims. And with the Muslimin, no one is exempt from accountability. No one is exempt from being asked, what is your evidence in your delil? No one is exempt from being challenged. Umar ibn Khattab, as Amir al-Mu'mineen, stood on the member to issue a new verdict and a command regarding the mahar, to put a limit on the maximum amount of mahar someone can ask for, to try to fix a problem that he saw sincerely was going to affect the Muslims in the future generations when Muslim men were marrying the non-Muslim women because their mahar was a lot cheaper. So he went to set a limit, but he was held accountable by a woman. And Umar immediately after saying that, and hearing the woman said, Umar made a mistake, the woman is right. And the beautiful thing about this example is that history does not denote the name of that woman. That's the beautiful matter. It means anyone can account the ruler of a third of the world at that time and he must take that accountability and he must take that nasiha um, that we spoke about very early on. And rather, we need to understand so everything, inshallah ta'ala, we need to ensure, my brothers and sisters, that we ensure everything we call for or stand opposed to lies in parallel to the commands and prohibitions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before we rush to give our own opinions um, you know, on the matters and affairs which surround us because a lot of us, are, especially in this current social media day and age, everyone is ready to give fatawa opinions, verdicts, uh, without looking into the matter deeply, sincerely, um, to understand it from an Islamic perspective. What is the position? And we don't want to be of those that, that uh, fall into the categorization of making haram halal and that which is halal haram. And inshallah ta'ala, I remind you that this obligation is what elevated the Prophet ﷺ and the companions to the highest level, the best of nations. And inshallah ta'ala, 
we should be inheritors of this. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, Kuntum khayra ummatin, nas. Why? You are the best of nations sent forth for mankind. You enjoin in all that which is good. You forbid all that which is evil. And you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every sense of a word. So we ask for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes this beneficial for us to understand the importance of enjoining good, forbidden evil, accounting that which does not conform to Islam um, and working day and night, inshallah ta'ala, to change the status quo to conform with Islam, whether it be locally, in our homes, in our societies, abroad, in the Muslim lands, in the Muslim world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadun la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka. وأتوب إليه والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته